This is Building Resilience Podcast, Episode 131, Exploring Empathy and Compassion. Welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast, where you will learn all about building resilience in yourself and helping others build it too. Drawing from the principles of positive psychology, neuroscience, and coaching, I will help you face all the challenges and adversities that life throws at you and help you do more than just survive. I will help you thrive. I am your host, Leah Davidson, and I am a certified life coach and speech language pathologist. I will help you manage your mind, your emotions, deal with your stress and your overwhelm, and lead a more purposeful and joyful life. Let's get started. Welcome to the podcast, friends. So happy to have you here. How are you doing? What is new with you? I wish you could answer me, and then we could have a conversation. But for today, you're just going to be stuck listening to me again, if you so choose. But we are going to be taking a dive into a couple of topics that I have been exploring recently, and I found really interesting, looking at the difference between empathy and compassion. We have talked quite a bit about compassion fatigue and using that term compassion fatigue earlier on in the year. So you can go back to episode 109, where I talk all about it. But just as a little refresher, compassion fatigue, it was a term that was originally defined in 1995 by a psychologist, Charles Figley, who is one of the pioneers and forces in the field of trauma research and treatment and compassion fatigue and secondary traumatic stress. And he defined compassion fatigue as the combined effects of secondary traumatic stress and burnout. Then later on, my mentor, Dr. Eric Gentry, shared that from a psychodynamic standpoint, compassion fatigue is a combination of psychological, physiological, moral, and spiritual damage caused by prolonged exposure to a toxic environment of caregiving. And biologically, it's the neurological condition in which our stress response or our threat response becomes chronically overactivated and it damages our bodies and brains and causes us to perceive danger where none actually exists. So again, go back to episode 109 to go through what compassion fatigue is in more detail. Now, I also had shared on that episode that Françoise Mathieu, who's a Canadian psychotherapist and researcher, she stated that compassion fatigue is a gradual erosion of all the things that keep us connected to others in our caregiver roles, our empathy, our hope, and even our compassion for ourselves and others. But what's really interesting is that in recent years, Mathieu and others have called for a change from using the term compassion fatigue Two, empathic strain. And she offered that for years, we have used compassion and empathy interchangeably, and they really are not the same. They are different. They activate different areas of the brain. And this is what I wanted to talk about today. So what is the difference between empathy and compassion? Now, I know that on the Building Resilience podcast here, we're not going to be able to change the term. We're not going to be able to single-handedly make a shift from compassion to empathy. But I do want to share with you some of the differences because the differences actually do matter. Now, let's first look at what empathy means. And I'll share that there are quite a few definitions that we'll want to explore. According to the American Psychological Association, empathy is an understanding of a person from his or her frame of reference rather than one's own, or vicariously experiencing that person's feelings, perception, and thoughts. It does not entail motivation to be of assistance. 
So empathy is often taken to mean to feel with. And in our helping work, it often means that we're feeling with the pain of another person. So the suffering of another person. Now, what's interesting is that in brain imaging, it actually shows that the same neural networks light up in the brain if you are experiencing pain or if you're witnessing the pain of another person. So we are wired to feel the pain of others, but it's not a choice. We're wired to do this. Now, why can this be problematic? Well, what happens when we're constantly activated as if we're experiencing pain and suffering over and over, we know that we can end up feeling distressed and it can cause us strain and then we end up feeling quite depleted. When we are constantly being dysregulated day in and day out, there are health consequences. So remember our stress response, which is easily activated always scanning, safety, danger, safety, danger. It is designed to be activated for brief periods. So it's designed to take care of the threat and then move on and we get back to our set point, our set point of homeostasis. But if we're constantly being activated because we are not only taking on our own pain, but we're taking on the pain and the suffering of somebody else, then our level set point, our homeostasis can actually shift and we no longer return to the same safe baseline we return to a new and higher level baseline. So while empathy is important because it allows us to connect with other people on a deeper basis, we do want to be clear on the type of empathy that we are offering. We certainly don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater and say that empathy is not good. We just want to understand it a little bit better. Now, I'm going to borrow from many of the words of Brene Brown to explain further. She says that most researchers agree that there are at least two kinds of empathy. Cognitive empathy, which is often referred to as perspective taking or mentalizing. And it is the ability to recognize and understand another's emotions. And two, affective empathy, often called experience sharing. It's one's own emotional attunement with another person's experience. Now, can you guess which one can lead you into a bit more trouble? Yes, affective empathy. As Brown says, in terms of empathy that she refers to, the good quote-unquote empathy that is not going to activate and deplete us is understanding what somebody is feeling, not feeling it for them. If someone is lonely, cognitive empathy does not require us to feel lonely too, but to reach back into our own experience with loneliness so we can understand and connect. Affective empathy can be a very slippery slope, she says, feeling something along with the person who is struggling as it can lead to overwhelm and thus not being able to offer meaningful support if you yourself are overwhelmed. And that is the kind of activation I was referring to earlier that we want to try to get away from. Now, Brene offers that Teresa Wiseman has one of the best models of empathy and has broken it down into four attributes. The first one is perspective taking. What is the experience like for you? What does it mean for you? The second one is staying out of judgment. So you're just listening, not putting a value on it. The third one is recognizing emotion. How can I identify and connect with what the other person might be feeling? Asking questions, clarifying what the other person is expressing. Four, communicating our understanding of the emotion. Maybe we can get really specific or maybe we just acknowledge how hard it is. And then five, practicing mindfulness, not pushing away the uncomfortable emotion, but just allowing it to be there. 
Now, what about compassion? Well, Brene Brown argues that empathy is merely a tool of compassion. Compassion is a daily practice. And her working definition is a daily practice of recognizing and accepting our shared humanity so that we treat others and ourselves with loving kindness and we take action in the face of suffering. So alternatively, compassion is a virtuous response that seeks to address the suffering and needs of a person through relational understanding and action. So one of the key things is that compassion includes action. It's not just feeling, it is doing. Now I did a whole episode way back when, I think it was episode 22, all about self-compassion. And I talked about three components. There's mindfulness, loving kindness, and common humanity. All three are important for compassion for others. But I want to talk a little bit more about the common humanity piece. Because as Brene said, the compassion is understanding and accepting that we're all made of strength and struggle, that there's no one immune to pain or suffering. So compassion is not coming from an idea of poor you, or I'm better than, or I can fix you. It's actually a shared experience. I hear you. We're two humans having an earthly experience, and I can sit with you. If you recall back on episode 110, I introduced to you the zones, and I divided them up into that zone of resilience, which is a safe and social zone, and then I introduced you to the hyperarousal zone, which I call Team Hyper, and the hypoarousal zone, which I call Team Hypo. So these are the zones of the nervous system. Now, as a coach and an SLP, I tend to spend a lot of time with clients who are on team hypo. And the way I view it is I'm just sitting with them for a time. I'm just allowing them to be in their space so they know that they're not in team hypo alone. Now, I don't have to be on team hypo personally. I can just relate to being on team hypo. I've had my times, so I can just sit with you. And that is my action. So sitting can actually be your action. And Brene talks about how we often think that the action and compassion is trying to make things better or fixing things. And she even talks about as parents, how we often do that. We flip on the metaphorical lights when our kids are suffering instead of just sitting with them in the dark and showing them how to feel the discomfort. This practice can really help us develop a sense of shared humanity. I am here with you. My action is to sit to witness, to love, not to fix or solve. It also kind of refers back to what I talked about on episode 120, the drama triangle. We do not need to be heroes or enablers or rescuers. We need people who can sit with us, who can ask us questions to help us help ourselves, who are willing to just believe in us. And we call them coaches in the empowerment dynamic, but it's whatever you want to call them. These are people who can just witness and support rather than fix and solve. So compassion is also respecting the person's capacity to experience their own pain. They get to own their own experience. Compassion does not mean rescuing. It's not pity. In fact, Brene teaches that pity is almost the enemy of compassion because basically pity means, oh, poor you, I feel sorry for you. And what that does is you see the person as different than you. You lose that common humanity piece. Rather, compassion is recognizing that you are suffering and understanding that suffering because I have suffered in the same way. It's a shared suffering. Compassion is all about connection. 
But pity can actually feel really isolating. You're worse off than me and it will distance us and there's no action that you take. So those are some of the differences. But despite the differences, let's get back to neuroscience, which is what is happening in the brain. Research has shown that there are differences in the brain regions and networks involved in these two emotional responses. As I already mentioned earlier, empathy, and I'm going to assume that when they're talking about empathy, they're also including all empathy, including affective empathy, where it's that slippery slope where we take on the emotion as opposed to only cognitive empathy where we have the perspective taking. So in their studies, empathy often activates the same area in the brain as if we were experiencing the pain ourselves. There is this activation in the mirror neuron system, which is a network of brain cells that are activated when we observe someone else performing an action or experiencing an emotion as if we are experiencing it ourselves. So this system does play a key role in our ability to understand and share the emotions of other people. Studies using functional magnetic resonance imaging, so fMRIs, have shown that when we observe someone in pain or distress, brain regions associated with pain processing and emotion regulation are activated in our own brains as if we were experiencing the pain ourselves. So this suggests that empathy involves a visceral or an automatic response to the emotions of others, and we can get activated ourselves, which we know is fine for the short term, but can be detrimental for the longer term. So this is why we do need to differentiate the type of empathy we have and focus on cognitive empathy and be very aware of what state we are in so we can be taking care of ourselves and do what we need to do to constantly regulate and get ourselves back to that safe state. Compassion, on the other hand, is associated with activation in brain regions involved in social cognition, perspective taking, and emotion regulation. So studies have shown that when we feel compassion for somebody, we are able to regulate our own emotions and perspective take, meaning we can imagine what it is like to be in the other person's shoes, but we can still regulate, which is important in helping us avoid becoming overwhelmed or distressed by the suffering of somebody else. So this definition is much more closely related to the cognitive empathy that Brene talks about. Compassion is accessible when we are in the zone of resilience. We don't have access to it when we are on team hyper or team hypo. When we feel safe and secure, that's when we can access compassion. So again, this is why we need to be clear on our own nervous system and how to befriend it and be able to determine when we are dysregulated and what we can do to get back to safety. We need to make regulating ourselves on an ongoing basis a priority. Now let's get full circle back to compassion fatigue. As you can see, compassion may not be the most appropriate term since it's more of a shared humanity, more of a witnessing. And Brene also shares that we do need to dispel the myth that empathy is walking in somebody else's shoes. Rather than walking in your shoes, I need to learn how to listen to the story you tell about what it's like in your shoes and believe you even when it doesn't match my experience. And if I do try to put myself in your place rather than try to understand the situation from your perspective, I can actually get sucked into my own emotional difficulties. Or because my experience doesn't match yours, I may even doubt what you're telling me. 
Compassion fatigue usually does occur when caregivers or helping professionals end up focusing on their own personal distress, their own emotional reaction, and are unable then to respond empathically, which is why the more appropriate term rather than compassion fatigue might be empathic distress fatigue. We are unable to separate ourselves from the story that we are hearing. Regardless of the definitions and whether we're going to call it compassion fatigue or empathic distress fatigue, what holds true is that we do need to be careful that what we are offering is a connection, which is why we don't have to experience the same thing as somebody else. We don't have to specifically relate to that exact experience. We need to be connecting on that common humanity level. We need to be willing to sit and witness. And I'm going to say it again. One of the most important things we can do in order to be this witness and not absorb all the pain and suffering of another, whether it's empathy or compassion, part of what is required is the same, the ability to self-regulate. We need to know how to navigate our own nervous system. When we do, not only will we be able to co-regulate, which really is a form of being there with somebody, but to self-regulate and protect ourselves. I'll leave you with this analogy. I heard to illustrate some of the differences between compassion and empathy. If you have fallen in a pit, compassion is, I see you. I understand. Let me hold out my hand to help you. Empathy is let me jump into the pit with you. Now, it may be the first reaction of what you want to do. It may be what other person will want you to do. And if you did it, it might feel good for the person in the pit initially but it really doesn't help. You are now both stuck. You are not able to help, and now you have to deal with challenges yourself. So I'm guessing right now it's probably about as clear as mud, but essentially we have to make sure we are regulating. We want to be witnessing and sitting. We don't have to feel the exact same way. We don't have to fix things. We don't have to solve things. We don't have to rescue, feel sorry, or have pity. We need to find the common humanity. I've been there too. I will be there again as well. We all will. And then to show that loving kindness, that respect for their real experience and to let them know they're not alone. So hopefully you learned a little something about compassion and empathy and I will see you next time. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Building Resilience Podcast. If you're interested in learning a little bit more about managing stress, building resilience, and leading a more purposeful life, then make sure we're connected on Instagram and Facebook at Leah Davidson Life Coaching. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter at www.leahdavidsonlifecoaching.com forward slash newsletter. Looking forward to connecting.